Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Life is full of awesome what ifs, and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Retaining a republic is hard. It's hard to do because you've got to maintain a really delicate series of intentionally designed institutions um, while the underlying demographic, economic, and political circumstances change. So you have to find ways of marrying your institutional design to the broader changes that are happening through your society, that are happening in the world around you, shifts in technology and media. You have to find some way of making it so that you're not stuck with this sclerotic, unworkable, ossified system. Roman cities, these kind of mega cities of the ancient world were artificial constructions. There is no hinterland big enough in the immediate vicinity of Rome to feed that many people. You're talking about probably a million people by the end of the Republic living in that city. Think about the amount of food that's going to require on a daily basis just to keep that going. And in the ancient world, there are not market mechanisms to do that. There is probably at that point some kind of regionally regionally integrated market in grain, but you're just never going to be able to incentivize the quote-unquote private sector enough to bring enough food to feed that place on a regular basis. The mechanisms in the ancient world are just too screwed up to do that. You, they, they don't exist on that scale. What One of the things as part of this reciprocal relationship between elites and, and the people of Rome is that you create the grain duel. It's called the, it's called the Anona. And yeah, and the deal there is that you've got city officials whose job it is to make sure that the grain keeps coming and to make sure that every Roman, no matter how rich or how poor, gets their grain dole. Every citizen gets the, gets their chit. They go and they take their bull. And there's and there's funny stories about senators who were going to pick up their grain dole um, that they're like, I'm paying for it. I'm going to get it. Um, even if they didn't need it, that was a kind of a constituent part of being Roman was that you were entitled. To that. that was a piece of your identity as a citizen of the city. It just seems like the more we talk about this, on it, the parallels really are there, and it's uh, fascinating. But I think we should maybe talk a little about what's what's changed. When what I mean by that is when Rome was no longer a republic, or not as we would see it. Were there other democratic nations in between the Roman Republic and? what we'd call the modern day, the United States of America. I mean, some, and I mean, genuinely democratic where your vote really counted and the majority of people were actually enfranchised. So not situations where the majority of people were enfranchised really. With that said, there were a lot of different means of having, uh, of people having a voice in their governance. There were a lot of popular, there were a lot of mechanisms for giving different social groups, different social classes, very rarely the lowest, uh, very rarely the lowest members of society, but often some pretty substantial portion of the people living in a place and time, some input into their political process. And so even in the Middle Ages, what we think of as this incredibly hierarchical period with where you got kings and you got to do what the king says, 
there is still a lot of mechanisms for different for the different constituent groups of society to have a say in things, to make their beliefs and wishes known. So there are representative assemblies across medieval Europe. There are that's a big one. There are guilds. There are there are a variety of these kinds of mechanisms and institutions that allow people to have some say. There when we talk about medieval Italy, there are a number of different examples of city-states that were more or less Republican in form at various times. Some of them stuck with it. Venice was the one that lasted for the longest with with kind of not democratic, but relatively broader political representation among the at least the male populace. Eventually, that kind of gets shut down, that kind of it gets squeezed so that it's left as much more of a kind of a broad oligarchy with where the merchant elite are making the decisions. But at one point, it was much it was much more open. Genoa, Florence, Milan, at various points, like these places oscillate between one man strongman rule at various points, and then more and less Republican things. Milan goes back and forth a bunch of times before it eventually settles in under the Sforzas. There are some examples of places that that kind of veer toward that. And but it's a much different route than Roman republicanism in those cases. The like medieval Italian republicanism grows out of the idea of the comune, of the commune, which represents the interests of a certain set of, of the citizenry, a certain set of people who matter. And it's not quite the same political cultural conception as the as we see with the Roman Republic or in the case of the United States, which is very explicitly drawing on a whole bunch of different antecedents, uh, including Roman and also the Venetians. The founders were quite fond of Venice uh, and the Venetian model of, of, of republicanism. So all of these things were there in, in, in when it comes to the American mix. But there's I don't think there's really a direct line. There's nothing that's quite like Rome in the interim. Um, the Roman Republic is a pretty unique place for a variety of reasons. Namely, I think the biggest one is the conception of citizenship as a broad category to which people could be to which people could be added. You could be born a slave. You could be born an enslaved person in ancient Rome, and you could become a citizen. That was a possible life trajectory for you. And in fact, most Roman citizens had freedmen ancestors who might have come from the opposite side of the Mediterranean or from Germania or Gaul. That It was spectacularly open, and it had been throughout most of its history. That was part of what made Rome. And it's hard to find that kind of explicit inclusiveness in the intervening period. Hello, Angry Planet listeners. What you've just heard is a little bit of a preview of our most recent premium episode where Jason sits down with Patrick Wyman, who's the host of the Tides of History podcast, and talks all those parallels between Rome and America, where they do sync up, where they don't sync up, and how republics are kept and fed. If you would like to listen to this episode, go to angryplanet.substack.com forward slash subscribe. For just $9 a month, you get two bonus episodes of the show. That's angryplanet.substack.com forward slash subscribe. Got another great episode coming up this week. It's an interview with Nina Jankowitz about uh, disinformation campaigns, uh, kind of the lay of the land going into this next election, uh, and what you should worry about and what you should not, and like a very real and kind of grounded take on how disinformation campaigns are fought, with especially uh, a good eye towards specific case studies and examples happening in Eastern Europe in places like Estonia and Georgia and Poland. It's a fascinating conversation, uh, and we get her to sing a little Sondheim in there as well.
We've also got an episode coming up about uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan, and we've got a great look at uh, Reagan's foreign policy. All that and more in the coming weeks in Angry Planet.